Hello, my name is Nicholas Corey, and you are listening to The Novelcast. Cybersaurus, The Awakening, Chapter 35 Regina plodded her way through the city sewers once more. The tunnels beneath this part of downtown weren't as large or open as they were by the spaceport. She had to move carefully to avoid stepping in the trickling stream of human waste, and occasionally had to kick a rat out of her way. The smell was intense, almost overpowering, and she was not glad to be back in this place. But it was the safest way to travel through the city. With one nation having constant access to every level of the Omninet, it was only a matter of time before they found her signal making its way through the city sewers. She was certain that was how they found her and Stanley so easily just hours earlier. That and the fact that a 40-foot-long Tyrannosaurus Rex doesn't exactly blend well into an urban environment. She was making her way towards King's Plaza, one of the townships that was considered part of the larger city of New Washington. It wasn't the kind of place she would normally find herself in. King's Plaza was known for its crime, both petty and organized. The city had received a generous federal grant a few years ago, money that was given to the police department to help purchase supplies, train officers, and step up patrols. Yet the corruption of the King's Plaza law enforcement was apparent, as no new officers were trained, no new gear was purchased or upgrades made, and no new patrols found their way into the streets. It was a part of the city that was well avoided by most everyone else, since it was much easier to ignore the problem rather than work to solve it. And yet Regina had a feeling that this air of perpetual criminal activity was exactly what she needed right now. In a time when everything was against her, she needed at least something to go her way. Things like pawn shops and second-hand stores were much more common in King's Plaza than in any other part in or around New Washington. This was exactly what she had hoped for, for if she was going to find herself a traditional cellular phone anywhere, it would be at one such store. She knew she needed to reconnect with Eddie, and she had to do it while staying off of the Omninet as often as possible. A difficult endeavor, but it wasn't impossible. It just required her to spend more time in the sewers. After she got a hold of Eddie, she would be able to regroup and reconsider her options. He had always been invaluable as a sounding board, and the short time they had worked together had proved to be quite efficient and productive. She was hoping that she could formulate a plan to get into One Nation headquarters, find Stanley and Naomi, return the data they were looking for without being prosecuted, and get out. She was also hoping that Eddie could help her find a way into the building, or find a way to silence her Omninet signal, or something. She had the knowledge of software and programming, but his hardware expertise couldn't be matched. She continued on for a short while trudging through the indescribably awful sewer systems of the capital of the United States, before she came to another surface access ladder and decided to climb it, partly to check her surroundings and get her bearings, and partly to be out of the sewers and into the fresh air, even if just for a moment. She made it to the ladder's top and lifted the manhole cover, its heavy, cold, metallic surface grinding against the concrete and blacktop of the street above. Lifting it only inches above, just enough to see through, She looked out at the dark streets in an effort to see if she was still heading in the right direction. The surface was illuminated by the white streetlights, cones of luminescence contrasting against the dark sky above. 
She saw the railway, raised above the road and lit in light blue and green bulbs periodically along the rail's edge, and she knew she was in the right neighborhood. The railway had extended directly out from New Washington's subway system, where it toured its way around the city and the surrounding townships, with King's Plaza being the first such destination. She knew that it had two stops in King's Plaza, one at Hampton Court and the other on the opposite side of the township in Peyton Square. Seeing the lifts leading from the sidewalk up to the covered rail station, she figured this had to be Hampton Court. After having spent most of her years in the busiest parts of New Washington, it was eerie to see the streets and sidewalks so utterly empty. Other than a small group of people who were standing near the entrance of a bar down a cross street, Hampton Court looked completely empty, with no pedestrians and no vehicles. She saw her Omninet access light blink a few times, and then a small message scrolled across the bottom of her vision. Connecting. She knew she had only a few moments to check her map, find a nearby store, and then get back down to the sewers. She wasn't exactly sure how long, but she imagined that if there were people at ONHQ actively looking for her, she didn't think it was much longer than a minute. Connecting. She pushed the manhole cover aside, leaving it leaning over the edge of the sewer entrance, but giving herself enough space to climb out. She came onto the street and started making her way to the sidewalk, away from the streetlights, and into a dark alley beside a small, Korean restaurant. Connected. Welcome 0046-557-301. In a moment, the message faded, and her normal heads-up display winked to life. Clock, weather banner across the top of her vision, local news scrolling in a single line of text along the bottom, and her recent messages and call log in the top right. With a thought, she opened the map application and found her current location, a blinking green dot marked on the overview. She could only imagine that there was someone at ONHQ seeing the same image. She conducted a search, mentally filling in the criteria for used electronics, communication devices, and traditional cellular. The search took all of a few seconds, returning a number of addresses for local businesses. With a thought, Regina narrowed it down to three that were within four blocks of her current location, and still open. She closed out the search, marked the three points on her map, and made off in the direction of the first. Regina pushed through the glass door and into the small, tightly packed second-hand store. Wire racks and plastic shelves and tables formed small aisles up and down the carpeted main room of the store. She saw small electronic devices of all sorts arranged on the tables, with little to no organization. Digital signs flashed in the air above each table, marking them as spark utilities, camera peripherals, and other such categories. The signs blinked as the door opened and closed, flickering as an antique television image may flicker in poor reception. Regina recognized it as a sign of faulty wiring, possibly indicating that a cable needed to be tightened, or even just unplugged and plugged back in. "'Can I help you?' a young sales clerk asked from behind a small counter against one wall. The countertop was filled with clear plastic jugs, each holding various novelty items and impulse-buy products, everything from charms for digital key sets to batteries. The young man, probably no older than twenty-five, 
stood behind the counter wearing a pair of sleek, smooth e-glasses, a spark peripheral that likely augmented his vision beyond the capabilities of just the implanted Omninet chip. Regina tensed up when she saw the glasses, not wanting to approach the man directly. There were stories floating around the Omninet about how disgusting individuals with such glasses would download illegal x-ray modifications for them, and then spend their time gawking at people, peering directly through their clothes. Regina stayed by a nearby rack of products and addressed him, her voice urgent and anxious. I'm looking for a traditional cell phone. The man lifted the goggles off of his eyes, resting them on his brow and giving Regina a quizzical look. Traditional? Like, non-networked? Right, Regina said. Sorry, I don't have any of those. Your store's profile says you do, Regina said, referring to the business's Omninet page. Oh, no, I repair them, and if I get my hands on one, I'll sell it. They're a hot product. Regina frowned. Do you have any idea where I can find one? She asked. The man shrugged and was about to respond when a third voice was heard coming from the back corner of the store. This new voice was mechanical, but resembled that of a normal person, as the voice that you would hear when you commanded a word processor to read back what you had just typed. Hunger, the voice said, sounding almost like a young girl, maybe three or four years old. The man turned and looked at the source of the voice. Oh, what are you doing up? He said. Excuse me for a moment, he said to Regina before making his way towards the back corner of the store. Regina stepped out from the rack she was partially hiding behind to watch the man, curious as to what she had heard, and she saw it to be a young girl, likely around four years old. The girl stood in the back corner of the store, near an open door that led to a dimly lit stairway leading up. As the clerk walked over and picked the little girl up with all the comfort and familiarity of a father, Regina couldn't help but notice that the girl had a small device plugged into her spark connection, a dark gray box that appeared to be a small speaker, about the size of an apple. "'I'm sorry,' Regina said. "'What's that?' The man holding the young girl turned and looked back to Regina. What's just my daughter? The girl stared at Regina, leaning in close to the man's head and chest, eyes fixated on this new person. Did she just say she was hungry? Regina asked. The man nodded. In a way, he said. Thanks to the modulator, yeah, she did. He then looked back at his daughter, and his tone changed to one of a soft, comforting nature. Honey, can we show this nice lady your talker? The little girl turned her head away from Regina, and the man moved aside the young girl's red hair to give Regina a better view of the spark peripheral she had seen earlier. It was as she thought, a small, speaker-like device, but with two blinking lights on its surface. It's a modulator, he said. She's mute, but thanks to this, she can still talk to us. Regina nodded. Yeah, I've heard of these. Are they reliable? The man shrugged allowing his daughter to turn back and resume her unblinking gaze on Regina. Some more than others, he said. You see a lot of bad units out there, but every so often you get a good one. I just wish we could afford a model with a lower profile, but, you know, you get what you can. How does it work? Regina asked. You just plug it into the spark connection and it powers itself, he said. Does it read thought patterns? Regina asked. Yeah, the man said. At least I think it does. 
I believe I remember reading that it can only read surface thoughts, ones that are specific and clear. Things like emotions get a little vague unless the person actually thinks about that emotion. Regina nodded, an idea forming in her head. Do you have any of those for sale? Yeah, we have a few, the man said. Let me get her back to bed real quick and I'll show you what we have. Regina stood in the sewers once more, and once more she looked through the small opening made by separating a manhole cover from the paved street. The man had given her directions to another electronics store that he knew carried non-networked phones almost regularly, though he didn't think they'd be open. And, as it turned out, he was right. The building was dark, the lights were off, and she was certain that it was locked. Hanging onto the surface access ladder with one hand, Regina unslung her backpack and rested it on her knee, leaning it up against the sewer wall. She used her free hand to open the bag and rummage through its contents. She had purchased the modulator from the clerk at the last store, and for fairly cheap, simply because, as she observed the young girl, she was struck with an idea. She could try and use the modulator on Stanley. If it worked as she expected, then she would actually be able to communicate with him. It would be rudimentary but it'd be leagues ahead of tail-slapping. The only problem is that her only choices for modulators were four-year-old southwestern boy or twelve-year-old Chinese female. And since she didn't know Mandarin, Regina was forced to buy the modulator with the voice of a young boy. She just hoped it would work. Focusing on the current situation, though, yet another idea was flowing through her mind, one that she couldn't believe she was considering, but given the turn of events in the last few days... Breaking and entering, and petty theft were the least of her worries. She found her flashlight, plugged it into her spark connection, and kept it off for the time being. Replacing her backpack, she slid the manhole cover aside and climbed out onto the dark street, walking towards the store in the quiet of the night, the sound of traffic on the skyway far above the only sound she heard. As she approached the door, she peered in through the glass window, but the shop was closed, locked, and dark. She knew she could easily break a window and get in, which would likely set off an alarm, but she really didn't have any other choice. Yet she wanted to keep as low of a profile as possible, and so she decided to check the perimeter of the building for any other, more suitable methods of entry. She rounded the back of the old brick building, moving through a dark alleyway, and found that the store had a back entrance. A small metal door with a single window stood there, closed and locked just like the front. However, given the relative quiet and hidden nature of the back alley, she felt more comfortable breaking in from back there than from out in the open, though empty, street. Only slightly more comfortable, though. She took one of her sweatshirts out of her bag and wrapped it around her fist until it was clenched tightly, her hand now a big ball of taut fabric. She looked at the window, took a deep breath, and gave it the best right jab she could. The glass shattered, and she felt the impact reverberate up her arm, a feeling she wasn't expecting. She almost cried out in shock, but caught herself, and instead unraveled the sweatshirt, dropping glass shards on the alley outside. She then reached in the window with her left hand, felt around for the lock, and after she heard a soft click, she was able to enter. 
She was surprised that she didn't hear an alarm, but she also knew that many stores carried silent alarms, and that she would only have a few minutes before the police arrived. Even if it was in King's Plaza, she didn't want to run the risk of getting caught, and so she turned on her flashlight and began picking through the electronic products. After a short check, she found what she was looking for, the non-networked, traditional cell phones. Grabbing the first one she could, she began touching buttons on it, unsure of how to activate the device. After one of the button presses, the screen lit up and turned on, revealing the emblem of a satellite company. When the phone's screen came to life, she saw the symbol in the top left of the screen reading Signal Strength, and noticed it was listed at 75%. It wasn't great, but it would have to do. She tossed the phone in her pocket, turned around, and ran out the door of the shop. After she got a few strides away, she turned and ran back to the door, closing it behind her. She'd get a few blocks down, give Eddie a call, and arrange a meeting from there. She knew it was only a limited time before someone at ONHQ found her Aminet signal after all of this time she spent on the surface. And her and Eddie would have to find a way around that, even if it meant hanging out in the sewer. God, she was hating that sewer. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find the previous season of The Novelcast at nicholascorey.com novelcast. That's N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S-K-O-R-Y dot com slash Novelcast. The Novelcast is a podcast that is made possible by the support of the fine backers over at patreon.com slash Novelcast. If you like what you hear and you want to help support this podcast as well, feel free to head to patreon.com slash Novelcast and donate your support. Any amount is incredibly helpful and deeply appreciated. Also, if you like audiobooks, head over to audiobooks.com slash novelcast. Audiobooks.com has millions of different titles available, and by heading to audiobooks.com slash novelcast, you'll not only sign up for their free 30-day trial, but you'll also be showing your support for this podcast as well. Thanks once again for listening, and I will see you next time.